This is an AMI podcast. Good morning. It's Wednesday, August the 24th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, Dr. Kelly Arbor Nicotopoulos explains what it takes to make playgrounds inclusive and accessible for children with disabilities. And Upala has some tips for you on how to self-add. So now's a good time to give yourself a little bit of a reminder. Melinda Kazanavishis gives details on this year's Grand Oasis Festival series in downtown Halifax. I like the sound of that, Grand Oasis. Sounds like fun. In the second hour of the show, Mike Agarbo will tell you about a security flaw that allowed hackers to access Apple devices. Now, we shared that news story with you last Friday, but Mike will be able to give you a little bit of analysis. And Jenny Bovard will discuss the pleasures, the guilty pleasures when it comes to snacking, including a couple of strange flavors. Always fun catching up with Jenny a little bit later in the show. But let's start the show with our top story of the day, following up from something we previewed yesterday. RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky has told the inquiry into the Nova Scotia mass shooting that the force needs to communicate better with the public. Lucky notes local RCMP communications staff were overwhelmed during the shooting spree. She says that more communications resources were needed as it unfolded. It's one thing for something to happen, but if you can't communicate it, the families deserve no less. Um, The people in Nova Scotia deserve no less. Um, Canadians want to know what was happening. This was an, and I hate using the word, unprecedented event. And so we needed to be better at our communications. The RCMP's difficulties in communicating with the public have been revealed in testimony from officers and civilian employees during the inquiry. Let's shift over to health care, another pressing story for Canadians across the country. Health Minister Jean-Yves Duclos has appointed Lee Chapman to the newly reinstated role of Chief Federal Nursing Officer. The federal government announced in February that it would reinstate the role in recognition of the central role nurses played in keeping health care afloat during the pandemic. Duclos says Chapman will offer input on the critical shortage of nurses across the country. There are already a number of jurisdictions in Canada reporting nursing shortages, which is having an impact on the functioning of emergency rooms and other critical health services that Canadians need and deserve. Chapman is a registered nurse with a PhD from the University of Toronto. And the B.C. government says a new bursary program for health care assistants wanting to become licensed for health care staff. Nicole Reese explains. The $3 million bursary fund is open to healthcare assistants registered to an access to practical nursing program from September 1st, 2021 to May 31st, 2024. Each eligible recipient will receive $10,000 to cover the cost of the program, including tuition and fee costs. But they must sign an agreement committing to work in the BC healthcare system for a year following graduation. Nicole Reese, The Canadian Press. Supreme Court of Canada nominee Michelle Obonsawin will speak at a parliamentary committee later this afternoon. Emily Javesky looks ahead. Today's meeting with MPs and senators will be Michelle Obonsawin's first public appearance since Prime Minister Justin Trudeau nominated her for the Supreme Court last Friday. 
Obasawin comes to the court after serving as a judge at the Ontario Superior Court of Justice in Ottawa for the past five years. She's a fluently bilingual Franco-Ontarian and an Abenaki member of the Odenak First Nation. Unlike the process in the United States, a vote by elected officials is not required to cement her appointment. Emily Joveski, The Canadian Press. And let's get to another follow-up. From yesterday's show, Canada and Germany have signed a green energy deal that aims to start a transatlantic hydrogen supply chain by 2025. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says the technology to create green hydrogen as a replacement for fossil fuels has been around for decades. But the market case and the need to scale up was coming, but wasn't quite here yet. But Russia's illegal and unjustifiable invasion of Ukraine has meant that everything gets accelerated. Germany wants to use green hydrogen, which is produced using electrolysis powered by renewable energy like wind. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz says even before the Russian invasion of Ukraine, his country's plan for net zero carbon emissions would have required importing large amounts of green hydrogen. We have to talk about short-term constraints and LNG, but in the long run, the real potential lies in green hydrogen from the wind-rich, thinly populated Atlantic provinces. Nova Scotia-based Everwind Fuels is hoping to start exporting green hydrogen and green ammonia to Germany within three years. While we're talking about German energy supply, let's get to a story from yesterday as well, where Germany's natural gas storage facilities are now at more than 80% of their capacity. Karen Shamis has those details. Increasing the amount in reserve has been a key focus of the German government ever since the Russian invasion of Ukraine in February. The main reason is to avoid rationing for energy as demand rises in the winter. In mid-June, Russian state-owned energy company Gazprom started cutting supplies to Germany through Nord Stream 1. It cited technical problems that German authorities have dismissed as cover for a political power play. In recent weeks, Nord Stream 1 has been running at only 20% of capacity. Gazprom recently announced that the pipeline will shut from August 31st to September 2nd for what it said is routine maintenance at a compressor station. I'm Karen Chamas. And before we get to our daily polls, let's share one story about the climate crisis. High temperatures and ongoing drought conditions are taking a toll on European farmers. Tom Rivers has that story. The European Commission says over 60% of Europe remains under a drought warning and that means summer crops will be substantially impacted. In Brussels, a European spokesman adds... The weather is set to remain warmer and drier than usual in the Western Mediterranean region until November. And we have said it before, the current drought appears to be the worst since at least 500 years. Lingering hot and dry conditions continue to reduce yield outlooks. In addition to damaging agriculture, this summer's drought has also forced water restrictions and has caused numerous wildfires. Tom Rivers, ABC News, at the Foreign Desk. And let's get to our daily polls. At AMI-audio is where you find us on Twitter. Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. Yesterday, we were asking you about climate change and has it impacted where you would like to travel? 25% of you said yes and 75% of you said no. Today's daily poll, I'm going to set up with a short news story here because you might want to check your drunk drawer given a new survey in the United States that has found that nearly half of Americans say they have a gift card that they haven't used yet. Rebecca Jarvis has the numbers. A new survey finds that 47% of adults have at least one unused gift card, voucher, or store credit, and the average value of those unused cards is $175 per person. That adds up to $21 billion for the entire adult population in the United States, according to estimates from creditcards.com. 
So, the daily poll at AMI-audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. How often do you forget to use gift cards? Never, sometimes, or always. I used to be a sometimes person, maybe even getting a little bit closer to always. I've now shifted and I'm working much closer to the never rate of making sure that I'm always using my gift cards. I'm liking to make sure that I am always remembering to use my gift cards when I have them because over the years I forgot a few. At one point when I was leaving Ottawa a couple years ago, I found a stack of Via Rail gift cards, a stack of them. And I was like, oh man, (laughs) how much money have I spent on Via Rail train travel? And I could have used these gift cards that were sitting underneath my coffee table. So that was a life lesson for me. Now Now I since gave those away to people who've been very happy to use them. So that was good. I felt very good about that. But uh, whoo, baby, there was like, there must have been $600 in gift cards under my coffee table. And I'm like, that's a lot of cash not to be using. Grace Caulfield, what about you? Um, I probably always used all of my gift cards. I One of my favorite things, though, was like cleaning out an old purse and finding like a $5 bill. I'm one of those kinds of people mm. where like I'll just find little $5 or $10 everywhere. But my gift cards definitely always get used up, especially if they're for like Starbucks or some other kind of food or Uber, they get used pretty quickly. Okay, I like that you identified a couple of those companies because what I like is that when people may send you a digital gift card for those, it's really easy to get them into the app. Yes. Right? It's one or two clicks out of your email into the app, boom, away you go. I like that. Now, I don't want to drag this completely into accessibility, but my lived experience as a legally blind person matters here. Sometimes when I wasn't using gift cards, it's because it becomes a massive, massive hassle to try and actually input the information, both scraping off something to get to pin codes, using my magnifying glass to read the like teensiest, tiniest font to input it. I will say the physical gift card is a very difficult thing for your average blind or low low vision individual to use and input into a system. So yeah, I love those digital ones where it's one or two clicks. It's linked to your account from your phone to your email. Click, click, in it goes. That I love, and that's amazing. So I like how you phrase that, Grace. That's a good one. Those prepaid Visa gift cards are the worst. Because you have to like call and register the card and type in the little number, and I don't, I don't like those at all. Yeah. I'm much more of a digital gift card kind of person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A little bit of precision there. Although if you're going to be giving gift cards as a gift, it's always worth consulting the individual you're giving the gift card yes. to. Like, what are you actually going to get use from? Absolutely. Yeah. Not, not to say that I don't read books, but I've gotten a couple <laughs> Indigo cards over the years, and I'm like. I don't buy books from Indigo anymore. I either buy books from Amazon or I get them from the library. That's how that's how my book life rolls these days. <laughs> so yeah, always be cognizant of exactly what gift card you're giving. Hey, Mike Ross, what about you? Are you uh, are you pretty good about making sure to utilize the gift cards that people give you? Oh yeah. If you go into uh, in my room here, I've got a, a, a basket sitting on top of my dresser and it's got all the gift cards. And I even like, I bring a marker with me. I write down the balance on the back of the card so that I know how much I have left on that card. And yeah, whether it be, you know, big box sort of hardware stores, because having a house, there's always a project on the go. Oh yeah. And there's always something to do. So it's great. And 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 I know some people will laugh at this, but even if like I've got a couple of cards in there that have just over $2 left on them, but that's $2 that isn't coming out of my pocket Heck and yeah. I'm using it. Heck right? yeah. I mean it's it's the same as Canadian tire money, right? For years a lot of people would sort of poo-poo the idea of using that. And it's like, no. 
this is this is a way for me to pay less. So I don't care where inflation's at 10, 15 years ago or where it's at now. I, if I'm entitled to that money and that discount, then I'm taking it. So yeah, big box uh, hardware stores especially and coffee shops. I love the coffee shop gift card. I wonder what the inflation oh, – oh, I, I wonder for, what I forgot the, one. I forgot. Tell me, Mike. Tell me. The LC- LCBO. Oh, that's 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 a good that's one. That's pretty huge. Yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah, uh, yeah I wonder <laughs> what the inflationary pressure on uh, Canadian Tire money is. You know, that Canadian Tire central bank just pumping out all kinds mm-hmm. of Canadian Tire bills. I wonder what uh, Pierre Polyev would have to say about that. Uh, Mike, thank you for this. We'll talk to you a little bit later in the hour. Sounds good. That's Mike Ross. At AMI Audio is where you find us on Twitter. Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. How good are you at actually making sure you utilize your gift cards? Let us know. At AMI Audio on Twitter. Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Let's go back to Grace Scofield, who has your national weather update. Thanks, Dave. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're going to start off in St. John's, Newfoundland, where there's some showers at times heavy or some drizzle ending near noon. Then it'll be mainly cloudy with a 40% chance of showers and a high of 21 degrees. In Halifax today, it's mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of drizzle early this morning and a 30% chance of showers late this afternoon with a risk of a thunder shower as well with a high of 26 degrees. Today in Montreal, a mix of sun and cloud with a high of 28 degrees. In Ottawa, a mix of sun and cloud today with a 40% chance of showers this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm with a high of 28 degrees. In Toronto today, it's sunny this morning, then a mix of sun and cloud with a 30% chance of showers this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon with a high of 29 degrees. In Thunder Bay, it's mainly cloudy with a 60% chance of showers and a temperature steady near 18 degrees. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's clearing up early this morning and the high is 22 degrees today. In Saskatoon, a mix of sun and cloud with a high of 28 degrees. Today in Calgary, Alberta, a mix of sun and cloud with 30% chance of showers and a risk of a thunderstorm with a high of 22 degrees. In Edmonton, Alberta, it's mainly sunny today with a high of 28 degrees. In Yellowknife, it's mainly sunny and the high is 22 degrees. In Vancouver, BC, a mix of sun and cloud becoming mainly sunny later this morning with a high of 26 degrees. And in Victoria, BC, it's sunny today with a high of 25 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Grace. Coming up after the break, Dr. Kelly Arbor-Nikotopoulos explains what it takes to make playgrounds more inclusive and accessible to children with disabilities children's how's well done adding plural to the plurals <laughs> this is now with dave brown on ami
welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown at AM on AMI. Researchers from the University of Toronto have developed a comprehensive report about creating accessible and inclusive playgrounds. Here to tell you more is Dr. Kelly Arbor Nicotopoulos, an associate professor studying disability and physical activity at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Kinesiology and Physical Education. Dr. Arbor Nicotopoulos, thank you so much for making time to be with us today. We're grateful. Thank you very much for having me, Dave. So since 2018, you and your team have been working with the Canadian Tire Jumpstart Charities to evaluate their their inclusive play initiative. What exactly have you been analyzing and, and why? Yeah, no, great question. Um, so I had the pleasure of leading this team. And uh, we, in addition to looking at their playground, so, so for the audience who are not as familiar, so Canadian Tire Jumpstart Charity, they're playgrounds that are designed to be inclusive for children of all abilities so they this is part of the larger play finds a way initiative and they committed to building at least one inclusive playground across all provinces and, ter- and territories in Canada um, currently I there are I think majority of provinces have, have at least one and just in terms of to give you the scope of these these playgrounds they are upwards of 15,000 square feet they entail several different features. So for example, flat surfaces, uh, elevated elevated, um, ramps to different locations in the playground, uh, different equipment that allow children to engage together in play. And so I was really intrigued about this, particularly with our playgrounds. And, um, you know, I think all of us here that are are listening today are really um, committed to making play all, um, inclusive to all children, specifically those with disabilities. So I wanted to be able to explore more of the experiences of families of children with disabilities as those with, without disabilities in using these playgrounds. So currently, we've spoken to just under 80 individuals, so which includes families of parents and their children with without disabilities, as well as we've also spoken to some recreation programmers across the different municipalities, uh, some educational professionals and how they use these spaces. Now, the report that was released a few weeks ago, that was an, another piece of this project. So in addition to learning about experiences of families in the communities that have these playgrounds, we were also committed to look at within the larger literature and practices that are used by um, playground developers, what makes it a playground fully inclusive for children with disabilities. So that report that was released provides these considerations and strategies for making a playground inclusive to children with disabilities, but also parents and grandparents who experience disability. Mm. We'll get to the recommendations and strategies and considerations in just a moment. But I, I, I want to drill down into something that may seem like minutia, but but I like asking this question to people who are doing the research. Because so oftentimes people use the word accessible and inclusive interchangeably. Even I'm guilty of that sometimes. To your mind, are those terms interchangeable? No. <laughs> Um, but no, you know, and I, yeah, people do use them interchangeably. You know, I think in terms of accessibility, there there are certain standards. Although arguably, those standards can definitely um, be built upon. But for something to be accessible, you can access. Like, let's say, for example, a playground. So if you can, um, if you have rubberized surface, you can make a ch- an individual who uses, let's say, a wheelchair can access the ground level. But 
does that then mean they can access in terms of the elevated spaces in there? So um, you can, you know, accessibility, there, there are often minimums to, to reach. Uh, and whereas inclusivity really goes beyond just the built environment in my mind, that social environment too, of that sense of belonging. So if I could take, for example, the Canadian Tire Dumpster Cherries Playgrounds, they have, for example, images of, of children who use uh, wheelchairs in some of their, they have panels. So it's just that sense of belonging, of seeing, for example, a child seeing some, themselves in that space. To me, that means inclusive and goes to the experience, not just a matter of meeting a standard. Yeah, we, we talk to a lot of people who are involved in universal design on the show, whether it be physical space or digital space. And so oftentimes, one of the things we always come back to is, is usability, right? That it's not just a matter of saying you have a feature, is the feature usable? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. I mean, and, and I, I think you said it, said it quite, quite brilliantly. So, you know, I think that's something going back to the why, the work that we're doing is, okay, well, you know, the this initiative... Um, it's, it's an incredible initiative by Canadian Tire Jumpstart Charities. And I think as researchers, we want to dive deeper into that initiative. Are, you know, our communities finding these spaces to be inclusive mm. while they're accessible? Are they fully inclusive for that, their child, their families? Um, so, so that's a really important piece of our, our work. So you mentioned strategies and considerations and recommendations when it comes to designing a more inclusive playground. We'd be here the entire hour if we had to walk through all 13 of them. But what are some of the specific ones that you'd like to highlight that really even maybe jumped off the page to you as you were putting them together? Yeah, well, I mean, to me, the first in terms of the entry into the space, like, so that's one of the key parts and a lot of the, the research that we um, looked at the, the, the different studies come into the entry. So entrance into the playground space. I have two children. They don't experience disability, but for them, it, it like, you know, if you're, you're waving like a piece of candy in front of them, but they can't have that. I think that's the same experience of, you know, seeing a playground, but there's a, a large border around it and you can't get into that space. So um, our, our, recommendation on entrance to the playground space is wide and free of obstacles and really reaches out the surfacing that is a key piece um playground users i think we, we are very familiar with sand with wood chips um there are a lot of play experts out there that speak to the value of what's called loose parts play and having things around sand and wood chips around a constructive constructive type play well that is important I think we really need to think about though the right of all children to play. So sand creates an incredible barrier for individuals who use mobility devices particularly. Um, so that is something that within our recommendations, we highlight around the surfacing to be flat and uniform, ideally throughout the playground, but definitely in strategic places to allow access to different areas, not and not just access, but going back to the usability piece of it. And I think for me, the number one for our group really jumped out. Um, but at the same time, I think we being in this space, we think, of course, this should be here is around the design process, the user involvement and being families of children with disabilities. So involving children in the design process, children experience disability and their, and their caregivers 
as well as disability organizations. That to me is key. Community committing to having a playground in a space, you first and foremost need to involve the, com um, the community and those, you know, all, all members of the community, not just a select group. This is something you and your colleagues have been working on for some time, and it's 141 pages. So that's a very substantial <laughs> piece of work that you've got in place there. What are the next steps? Are you hoping to maybe expand upon this? Yeah, I, you know, great question. I, you know, I think first we, we released the information and now in terms of comes all further education and how to use these considerations and strategies. So our team is really thinking now about how can we do this in, um, I say, an equitable way? How do we make sure we reach out to those different communities who could make use of this information, whether that be through webinars, sometimes maybe in-person kind of discussions, but there needs to be you know, 141 pages is a very lengthy document. And so and I think we recognize appreciation of that, but also being able to offer some further education of how to dive deeper into those considerations and strategies. And I mean, something that I'm also really keen on is, well, you know, be partnering um, with Canadian Tires Jump Start Charities. Well, our research does look at those playgrounds. I'm also really intrigued on how can we retrofit existing playgrounds, recognizing not all, not all playgrounds can be 15,000 square feet. Mm. So how can we revisit some of our playgrounds in our community to make them more usable, make them more friendly to the you know children with disabilities, parents, caregivers who experience disabilities? Yeah, I, I think that makes so much sense, especially as we invest in retrofitting some of these spaces are we making sure that as we're doing those retrofittings to existing spaces, are we taking these considerations into account? It makes so much sense to, to make that as, as a huge, huge goal as we move forward. Um, you mentioned that you want to get that information out there. Where can people get access to these recommendations in the report? Is it, is it publicly available? It is. So um, the uh, the 140-page document is located, at, it's actually on the Holland Blue Review uh, Kids Rehabilitation Hospital because it's uh, led by my colleague, Tim Ross, who's a scientist there. So there is um, a website. I wonder if I can provide that after the yep. show. But yep. we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll put it up on the blog after the show at ami.ca slash now blog because we've, we've already hopefully conditioned people to have that baked yeah. into their web browsers. In fact, it should be your home landing page, folks, ami.ca slash now blog. Yeah, and also just like an ad, there's some um, other, there's those 13 recommendations specifically that are on what's called the Canadian Disability Participation website or project website. So cdpp.ca, there's a lot of information there with the playgrounds and as well as other aspects of inclusive and accessible um, physical activity and play for individuals experiencing disability. Well, Dr. Arbor Nikotopoulos, as you do more of these outreach programs and maybe some of these webinars that you guys want to do, keep us posted. We'll make sure to share some of that information with the audience as well as they, as they may want to get their eyes and ears on that one as well. And we thank you for your time today. I know uh, you're a busy, a busy individual doing lots of hard work. So thank you for carving out some time for us. Absolutely. Pleasure to be on the show today, Dave. That was Dr. Kelly arbor an associate professor at the University of Toronto. Coming up next, Anu Paula has some tips on how to self-advocate for accessible accommodation. Tis the start of the school year, so it's always a good time to uh, plan some of that out. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Emily Javesky with your Morning Business Minute. 
Canada's main stock index edged into positive territory to end the day Tuesday as the negative impact of Scotiabank's worse-than-expected third-quarter financial results was outweighed by gains in the energy and mining sectors. The S&P TSX Composite Index was up 10 points at 19,985. In New York, the Dow Jones was down 154 points at 32,910, while the Nasdaq was down just 0.27 points at 12,381. In Japan, the Nikkei shed 139 points to close at 28,313. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index just before close was down 233 points at 19,271. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 77.03 cents U.S. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Emily Jovesky. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. It may be hard to believe, but it's a new school year. Kids in Quebec go back next week. Kids in the U.S. are already back at it. Oh, my gosh. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. You might be starting a new semester, a new major, maybe even starting a new school. Or maybe one of your kiddos is getting back at it. A change in life leads to a change in needs. And that means changes in accommodations. That means you better be ready to self-advocate. Anu Paula is here to discuss what goes into self-advocating. Anu, of course, is the founder of A New Vision. And we'll talk to Anu about the newly launched website for A New Vision in a couple of minutes. But first, we have to say good morning. Hello, Anu. Good morning, Dave. How are you? I'm well. Always nice to chat with you. So, Anu, let's start here. I think this is self-evident. But why, to your mind, is self-advocating important? Well, there are many, many benefits to self-advocacy. I mean, it empowers people to find creative solutions to their challenges, their problems. Um, it helps to build confidence and ultimately find solutions to you know, your problems. Like It helps people get ahead in life. Yeah, it, it comes so much yeah. from personal experience, right? It comes so much from knowing what works for you. And if you can translate to so, that to somebody, it, it's better than just sort of firm, concrete policy. But Anu, we know this, constantly self-advocating can be exhausting. Just ask a guide dog user. Mm-hmm. When should someone consider self-advocating? Well, I think one of the ways that you know, one knows when it's really time for this is... Um, for example, if people are making decisions on your behalf, making, you know, like what it would, that obviously does not resonate with you, that is a time where you need to really step it up and be like, okay, uh, this is not working for me and I need to uh, take life into my own hands here. Would does you? That make sense? Yeah, it does. It makes a ton of sense to me because there are certain moments where you maybe feel left out, right? Or you feel what's being offered to you isn't quite right. And if you're uncomfortable with it, it's a good time to speak up. So once we've decided it's a good time to speak up, are there some specific methods or strategies when it comes to self-advocating? Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned it at the top of the segment where it's really important to understand your needs. I mean, how can we communicate what we, what we want if, we, if we're not even sure of what that even looks like? 
So it is really important to take the time to reflect and and if it if it comes down to it, even create like a little document uh, outlining what the challenges are and what those uh, needs might be. And sometimes, you know, we're not always sure of what those needs might look like, but at least taking the time to outline it in terms of what you think you might need. Well, more often than not, we actually do know what we need, but especially the, the younger like youth, they don't always know what's out there, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it is important to do that. Um, so it could be with, with regards to, you know, assistive technology solutions. Um, sometimes it might be asking, we're talking about the school year here. So, you know, uh, reaching out to an accessibility advisor or a teacher about like, getting uh, materials sent in advance so that you can properly be prepared for a particular class. Uh, Maybe you might need more time to complete exams. So there are various types of accommodations that one, you know, needs in order or may need in order to be successful uh, at school. And so it's really important to be able to, um, you know, ask for those needs. Anu, you have to forgive me because I know I've told this story on the air before, and I think I've maybe even told it to you. But but just in case we've got a new listener, a new viewer out there today, one of the lessons that I learned in my university experience that I then translated when I went back to school as a mature student is when I started at McGill, I didn't Mm -hmm. reach out to the Office for Students with Disabilities, even though I clearly had a disability. And there were so many things that I thought about would have made my experience so much better if I had just done that, if I had just gone and advocated and registered with those folks, whether it had been a note taker for notes in class, whether it would have been getting large print copies of my readings. There's all these things that were so frustrating and inconvenient while I was in school Mm -hmm. that could have been worked around if I had just sort of maybe put my pride aside. I don't know if it was strictly pride, but Pride played a huge part in it. And I think to myself, that could have made such a big difference in both my enjoyment of my time at McGill, but also of just what that could have meant moving forward in life. I can absolutely relate to that, Dave. I had a similar situation at SFU um, some years back, and it was it was really challenging. And for the average student, we have to remember, school is challenging. And so when you have uh, a disability, it just adds that extra layer. And what I have learned over the years is part of being independent is asking for help. You know, um, all, we're humans. We're humans. We all we all need support. We all lean on each other. So it's okay. So I think there is this level of pride. I I abs- like I said I absolutely uh, uh, resonate with this. And so I'm all about advocacy, advocacy and advocating. Yes. What would you say are the do's once we've come up with a strategy or a method? What are the do's of positive self-advocating? So it's uh, really great to be able to identify who that person is who can support you, whether it's um, a teacher or a counselor or a friend. Maybe it could be like a disability uh, computer uh, whether it's, uh, you know, somebody who can support you. Basically, um, even asking, having the courage just to ask, that's a huge thing in itself as well. Mm. Um, you know, so asking for support may seem like you're being a burden, but you're actually doing yourself a favor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so many times there's, there's processes in place that can help with that. Okay, Anu, what about the flip side of this? I may even steal one of your one of your points here, but the don'ts in when it comes to self-advocating, I would say coming at it emotionally can be very difficult because that gets everybody's blood pressure up. Yes, absolutely. It's so true. So 
don't overreact or get defensive because I think sometimes it can be very, very frustrating when you, you when things are not working for you and so our emotions come into play, like you said. So yeah, absolutely stay, remain calm and ask for what you need. Um, don't blame others for your problems. This can be another sort of negative that would work against you. And most importantly, never give up. Um, if you don't get exactly what you want right off the bat, it's important to just don't get not give up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think yeah. it, and I think it's in that moment when maybe the emotions can get up, right? When you've maybe gone through the process one or two or three times, and now you're feeling like, oh my gosh, no one is ever listening to me. I understand that those are the moments where maybe the emotion or the overreaction can kick in. But again, they're, they're, the, the yelling and the screaming, as much as we think about the cliche of the squeaky wheel uh, getting getting the oil, there is a point, especially if you're trying to develop long-term relationships with professors, with the school, with the Office for Students with Disabilities. If three weeks yeah. into your semester you've yelled at some people in that office, it's yeah. going to be an awkward uh, rest of semester. It's going to be an awkward rest of the couple of years. Again, understanding that like inaccessibility is unacceptable, but yes. it, at a certain point, like what are what are you cutting off by being too emotional? And I think it's also important to realize that people react based on how you communicate as well. So if you're going to come off all aggressive and and you know, then you're going to trigger somebody. Whereas if you come, if you approach the situation uh, with calm and ease. And like you said, in a in a more positive light, then more often than not, you're going to get that kind of more supportive and um, friendship type of uh, reaction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I knew I mentioned it off the top. Uh, you have launched a new website for your company. It's always kind of funny because we have these segments with you or people like Denis Boudreau or Thea Curdy, and you guys have actual like responsible day jobs that go well beyond just talking to us. And sometimes you guys are doing new stuff with your business or trying new things or launching new websites. So tell us a bit about the the new website and what folks should uh, punch in to the URL bar in their browser. Oh, thanks, Dave. Um, so yeah, so there are a few new services that I am offering now, like through my coaching practice, like a new methodology called Your Best Here Yet. And this is a great time to talk about this. It's a wonderful tool for goal setting. And so it can be used for individuals or teams, uh, especially around goal setting and really achieving the life that you and the dreams that you want to, you know, like fulfill. And so um, the whole rebranding has been a bit of a process. Um, It's not perfect yet. I haven't got the nailed down the logo quite yet, but have a fantastic new website, much cleaner and easy to navigate. So it's just simply triple uh, triple w dot a new vision. So no dash anymore. It's just a n u v i s i o n dot c a. See, I like that simplicity and straightforwardness. We always appreciate that in the Now with Dave Brown family. Hey, Anu, we always appreciate you getting up early there on the West Coast for us. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you next month. Thanks so much, Dave. That is Anu Paula, the founder of A New Vision. Let's bring in Mike Ross for Mike's Big Business Story of the Day. So, Mike, you've got a story here about the Royal Bank of Canada's profits, and you've got a follow-up question. We're a little tight for time, so just give me the news story, and then we'll tackle the question after the regional news update next hour. Not a problem. You you don't even have to go there because there's another bank that's released its numbers. So let me just give you that quickly. Okay. Royal Bank of Canada reporting its third quarter profit fell compared with a year ago. 
The bank's saying Wednesday it earned net income of $3.6 billion for the quarter ending July 31st with a profit of $4.3 billion, revenue totaling $12.1 billion from $12.8 billion a year ago. Provisions for credit losses totaled $340 million for the quarter compared with a release of provisions for credit losses of $540 million in the same quarter last year. So uh, you know, overall, the bank feels that it's an uncertain economy, but they're very, uh, very confident that they're going to continue to operate, quote, from a position of strategic and financial strength. Looking ahead, our size, scale, and diversified business model will continue to create value for our clients, communities, and shareholders. Meanwhile, National Bank of Canada reported that its third quarter profit fell compared with a year ago as it was also hit by higher provisions for credit losses due to a less favorable economic outlook. So, uh, you know, tough, tough news for banks as far as overall numbers dropping a little bit, but still very confident because when you really start digging into all the divisions of banking, because these banks are, you know, worldwide now, they they don't just operate on the, uh, on the corner in your city, uh, their uh, their numbers overall are starting to rebound and mm-hmm. the, their, their, their feelings, the bank's feelings uh, are that they're in a good place right now and the future uh, for them, at least short to medium term, looks rather positive. Mike, that's a great summation of the report. Thank you for that. We'll probably tackle your question in the next hour or we'll save it for the daily poll tomorrow because you got a good one here. So, Mike, we'll talk, we'll talk to you in a few minutes for the regional news update. That's Mike Ross. I do want to remind you that we're doing a giveaway this week. Very special box of goodies to celebrate season two of Dish with Mary, which made its premiere on AMI-TV this summer. So I've got a good box of stuff for you that you can win. Some artisan pizza and pasta flour that's gluten-free. We have some beautiful red tomato sauce. It looks like it's going to be oh so delicious. I've wanted to crack into it a couple of times now that it's sitting in my office, but I'm not allowed to because it's yours. We also have some extra virgin olive oil, some Vancouver Island sea salt for some flavor, and a beautiful small pasta cutter. It looks like a little teensy tiny pizza cutter with the rolling slicer on it. Looks like it's going to be some nice winnings for you if you get a chance to enter this contest. You must be 18 or older and from Canada, and you have to share your favorite recipe, or at the very least, a favorite recipe memory by emailing feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca. The deadline to enter the contest is August 26th, that's this Friday, at 5 p.m. Eastern time, and the winner will be announced on Monday's show, August the 29th. Feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca. Coming up next, Melina Kazanavishus will give you some details about this year's Grand Oasis Festival Series in downtown Halifax. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's head into the Maritimes to catch up with community reporter Milena Kazanavishus in Halifax. Hey, good morning, Milena. Good morning, Dave. How are you? I'm well, Milena. You're always on top of the festival scene in Halifax. And there's one coming down the pipeline here, the Grand Oasis Festival Series in Halifax. So what's the focus of this particular festival? 
All right. This festival has been going as of June 21, and it goes till October 1st. Every Friday and Saturday, free, capital F-R-E-E, people, I don't want to hear any excuses, down at Grand Parade, which is in front of our city hall, um, live concerts, Indigenous art, uh, you name it, it's there. Uh, and we've had artists come out such as Classified, I missed that one, very upset. Uh, Richard Coyne, I went to see that one a couple of Fridays ago, uh, the crowds were wild, well behaved but wild um and uh this friday tomorrow at seven o'clock till ten thirty, it's good old matt anderson and his big bottle band a big uh reunite re- reunited concert so you you can be sure that that's going to be one crazy wild party uh there you can take the buses downtown to city hall you you know you can walk it drive it i don't recommend driving construction no parking mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and if you're blind or partially sighted probably not a good idea so <laughs> uh, you, you said and listen, uh, and listen my friend there's a, there's a beer tent okay there for we those go. of us who need a little something to get the knees and the legs moving so <laughs> melinda you said fridays and saturdays right out by city hall yes. or just fridays Every Friday, every Saturday, uh, there's a, and there's a full lineup, so you can uh, check that out at halifaxpresents.com slash events, or just uh, Google uh, Grand Oasis um, Halifax 2022 Oasis, for those that don't know, O-A-S-I-S, or call 902-490-6776. And uh, let me tell you, uh, Richard Coyne, um, we have, we have a whole, whole bunch of big names that are coming up and are you know, big local um, musicians as well. So rock, jazz, blues, techno, name it, it's there. Techno. Techno. When I was there at the end of July. DJ Jazzy Jeff, yes, uh, yes. When I was was there in late July for a bachelor party, we heard the thump of a bass and we uh, definitely went and danced in front of the stage for about an hour or so before retreating to some more traditional maritime music so that was a good time wait a minute you were here end of july yeah it was a bachelor party melinda you weren't invited i'm sorry um (laughs) (laughs) let's uh let's jump into a different topic uh cnib in halifax you noticed some changes to some to the local office what did you find out well i've i've um in in the last couple of weeks and maybe two months or so you know i've been on the bus and running into a couple of my colleagues blind partially sighted and they've been asking me what's going on with the phone number. So I, uh, because I, I only talk to a few people at the local office, I, I kind of have their own personal extensions. So I called the local office because, um, because I, well, I needed to, to find something out on a different matter. And all the calls now, now you still call 902-453-1480, 902-453-1480. That's for Halifax here locally. But everything is directed to national. And then at national, they ask you all these questions, and then they direct you back to the local office. I have to give my two cents worth, if I may. Please, please. I I think this is very impersonal. I think this has been made into robotic. I feel, and this is only my own opinion, that CNIB Foundation has been taken away from the personal aspect, the people, that being you, I, and everyone else, and, and being, you know, transferred international. We know our local office. We know our local people. I don't particularly care to give my reasoning for calling to someone out in uh, Toronto or Ottawa or wherever these calls are being called. So that being said, next month, um, Jeff DeVilla will be sending out all the local phone numbers, extensions locally here. 
keep that piece of paper if you're signed up with CNIB Foundation uh, in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Uh, otherwise, keep calling 902-453-1480, but be aware you will be directed to national. Melinda, thank you for flagging that first, and thank you for yeah. sharing your two cents. I'm glad. I'm really glad that you did. I think there's a lot of people who would definitely agree with you on that front. Let's look ahead to the fall. So we've talked about a summer festival. We've talked about some local snafus. Let's look ahead to some fall, some fall <laughs> fun in the Halifax neck of the woods. So what are some suggestions you have for residents this year? Okay. Well, you, you know me, I seem to bring this up uh, every uh, end of August, come into September. I, I feel right now that... Um, Nova Scotia is definitely one of the best provinces to be in when it comes to fall season. I feel like I have a wet hand stuck in a socket and just getting electrocuted with everything that's going on. So the best thing to do rather than me, you know, listing one every event at a time, head to your www.novascotia.com. And that's the tourism uh, website. It is uh I'd rank it me, who's a techno simpleton, um, a tech simpleton, that uh, it, it's very, very accessible. And you can find out every festival, um, every uh, cooking trip, wine trip. Uh, there's stuff going on in Yarmouth next month, some sort of a UFO festival. Ooh, I, I really don't know ooh. what that means, but <laughs> yeah, right for you. Um, we have our sunflower mazes that are coming up, uh, pumpkin patches, um, wine tours. You, you know, it, it's all there and there's just, really hundreds and hundreds too many to list uh a lot of them are free some are paid and and you know and i do remind you we we do have to be our own advocates you do have to do a little bit of work um get out there and enjoy and ask if whoever is coming with you your person who's accompanying can get in a free ticket or and a discounted ticket for anything that you would have to pay for it because well you can't drive for an hour and a half on your own um there are tourism buses um but it never hurts to ask. It never so hurts. So yeah. and uh, be your own tourist. And I recommend that to everyone in the country. Be your own tourist in your own province. Milena, as as I mentioned before, I was in your neck of the woods for a party that you were not invited to. I'm sorry. Uh, it was a bachelor yeah, party. Yeah, for those I think. who can't see me, my face is yeah. scrunching yeah, up Yeah, I now. can imagine you're very <laughs> scrunchy with me. But I, uh, I actually agree with you that Nova Scotia and Halifax definitely have it going on. I was there in 2017 for a wedding and had a really, really nice time. And heading back to this bachelor party, I, my expectations were high. And the city delivered through and through in a lot of amazing ways. I couldn't believe how friendly the people were. I couldn't believe how well laid out the city was. I couldn't believe the welcoming nature that, that we faced at every turn of our, of our enjoyment. And I also forgot that although the HRM is very sprawly, it's still pretty easy to get around all things being equal compared to, say, uh, living in this concrete jungle of Toronto. Right. Listen, we're all friendly because, you know, we're either drinking rum or all our microbrews out here. There, there, was definitely, <laughs> there was definitely some experience with the Blue Lobster. There's, there's no doubt about that yeah, one. There's yeah, right? a Blue Lobster <laughs> Friday and Saturday in my life. Uh, Milena, thank you for this. Have a great okay. week, and we'll talk to you in next month. Yes, thanks. Okay. That's Milena <laughs> Kazanavishus, community reporter in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Of course, you can always find out more on our blog, ami.ca slash now blog. That's where you can find some links and phone numbers and details about Milena's stories. But it's also 
the place you can go to find some of those links that we mentioned earlier in the hour about some of the analysis in regards to accessible and inclusive playgrounds. And there's so many reasons as to why you should reach out to the show. Maybe it's to offer feedback. Melena give a little bit of a hot take on some of the uh, phone directories at the CNIB. Maybe you've had an experience like that and you want to share your experience and your thoughts. We're not afraid. We'll share your thoughts on the air. That's how we roll. So send us emails, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca. You can also find us on social media, at AMI Audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, or you can go old school. You pick up the telephone and you give us a -a ring-a-ding-ding, 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545. And if you're going to send that email, you can also enter our contest to win that nice box of goodies celebrates season two of dish with mary coming up after the break mike ross is back with the regional news update this is now with dave brown on ami welcome back it's the wednesday august 24th 2022 edition of now with dave brown on ami audio ami tv ami.ca and the mighty ami audio podcast network mighty indeed coming up in the second hour of the show mike agarbo of the app show will describe a recent security flaw that allowed hackers to access apple devices we shared that news story with you on friday so mike will offer up a little bit of analysis and jenny bovard and i will discuss Guilty pleasures when it comes to snacking, and we'll share some of our strange but favorite combos of flavor and texture. But first, Mike Ross is here with the regional news update. Thank you, Dave. We'll begin in British Columbia, and a series of heat warnings are covering inland sections of BC's north and central coast, along with the Sunshine Coast and eastern parts of Vancouver Island. Environment Canada says daytime highs near 30 degrees Celsius are expected in communities including Kitimat and Terrace before cooling tomorrow night. On Vancouver Island, the weather office says daytime highs between 29 and 34 degrees are expected inland and along the island's east coast with the same highs forecast for the Sunshine Coast from Gibsons to Powell River. Environment Canada says cooler temperatures starting Friday are expected to stretch into next weekend. To the prairies, Alberta RCMP are confirming they are investigating after Leela Ahir, a candidate in the United Conservative Party leadership race, reported that some of her social media accounts had been compromised. Ahir, who was elected in the riding of Chestermere Strathmore in 2019, says she was shocked to discover that both her personal and public Facebook accounts had been hacked. In a Twitter post, she called it a targeted attack and said there were inappropriate messages being sent through as a result. She says that her account was being used for sexual exploitation and that, quote, we will find the perpetrators. Critics have expressed their disappointment with the Saskatchewan government's plan to put $500 in the pocket of every resident over the age of 18. The Saskatchewan Teachers Federation says the tax credit checks could have been spent to help the school system. The Federation says school divisions have been crying out due to a lack of resources. The provincial NDP says the Saskatchewan party should have provided this relief months ago and is criticizing the government for sitting on billions of windfall revenues. To Ontario, 
And a university there has made a decision to mandate a booster dose for those returning to campus next month. And that's prompted concerns from students who worry about the tight timeline. Western University's Student Council President says with staff and students returning to campus over the next two weeks, the tight timeline is the biggest concern he's heard so far. Staff and students have until the beginning of October to provide proof of vaccination. Western's vaccine policy goes a step further than the University of Toronto, which requires those living in residence to have a booster shot and recommends all others keep vaccinations up to date. And to the Atlantic region, Newfoundland and Labrador's four health authorities say they're conducting a review after potential issues with mammography results were discovered. The province's central health authority said Monday it had advised the provincial government that it was reviewing the results to identify possible diagnostic discrepancies. Yesterday, the province's remaining three health authorities issued releases saying they were conducting preliminary reviews given the possible issue identified by Central Health. Central Health is expected to give an update this afternoon, while the other health authorities say they will have news early next week. And those are your top regional headlines going coast to coast across the country. Mike, stay right there because we're going to bring Jeff and Grace into the conversation of a question you proposed to me via email this morning connected to your big business story of the day with RBC and National Bank and Scotiabank all reporting their uh, net or I guess their quarterly profits. And you got thinking about what may cause someone to uh, leave a bank if, say, those banks wanted to recoup some of that cash by raising fees. So pose the question, and then we'll bring in uh, Jeff and Grace and myself to sort of offer our thoughts on it. Well, this is always an interesting week in financial news because the big banks announce how much money they've made, right? They announce their quarterly results. And inevitably, as those numbers get reported, a lot of us react to the huge amount of profit that these banks make. And we feel like they're making that profit clearly off our backs mm-hmm. uh, because we pay pretty high uh, fees to have the the right to put our, our money or, 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 or the, the, the gracious opportunity <laughs> to put our money in their banks. Um, and so I, it's it's a week that always gets people saying, you know, um, you know, I, I'm going to change banks and I'm tired of paying the fees I'm paying. So I'm just wondering, what would it take for you to or, or have you ever considered leaving a bank, going to another bank because of the uh, the high fees involved? So I did leave one major bank when I turned 18. Because because I turned 18, they were like, no, no, no more uh, kids checking account for you. No more free monthly thing. We want to charge you. It was 4 or $8 a month at the time. It seemed like a lot, of course, now considering some of the rates. It's like 4 to $8. Sign me up for that good stuff. Uh, <laughs> but I, I actually made the switch. But I made that switch when I was 18 years old. Mike, at this point, I think the paperwork involved with making the switch from one major institution to another would really throw me for a loop. I finally got comfortable with my online banking system a couple of years ago. So now that I'm there, it'll be tough for me to move. I will say my bank has a preposterous policy in regards to their checking account that says you have to hold, I'm not going to give the exact number here, but a lot of money in your checking account, your checking account to uh, make sure you're not paying monthly fees. And it it stresses me out because it's a preposterous number, but I don't like paying fees because I'm cheapo like that. Let's uh, bring in Grace Scofield. Grace, have you ever or would you ever, based on bank fees, switch banks? 
I have actually. I had an account where it charged me a fee for every extra debit over a certain number of Ugh. debits. And as I got older and started having more just general day-to-day expenses, um, I surpassed those debits because it wasn't even like the amount of debits, like one debit a day. It was less than that. So it was kind of insane, and I would rack up this big fee in debits, and I, I changed accounts because I couldn't I couldn't keep up with those fees. They mm-hmm. were just they were too mm-hmm. much. They weren't worth it anymore. Yeah, that's again that's well put. I, I remember when the, when the limit was like twenty a month, and now I think for folks who are using that debit card all the time, all day, twenty a month is nothing. You might do some folks some folks might do twenty in a week. Exactly. Yep. Uh, let's bring in Jeff Ryman. Jeff, before we talk sports, I, I'm curious: Have you ever made the old switcheroo from the banking point of view uh, because of high fees? Uh, I will preface this: I have my mom who works for a bank, so therefore I was uh, I, I get my banking done for free. Nice. Um, and Aaron, my fiance, has, is in the same boat, so we were kind of those lucky ones. Uh, although Dave, I'm kind of in in the same I think boat as you, where. Um, Sure, you, you pay the fees, but I think it's the paperwork that is just – I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to have to do deal with that, and I think, uh, you know, me being kind of lazy, I'd probably <laughs> just stick with the same – unless it went up, like, catastrophically. Like, if they're charging you, like, double or triple what you were originally paying, then, yeah, maybe you, you consider making that switch. It's the same thing with, you know, cable or internet providers. People get ticked off about their cable or internet yeah, providers yeah. all the time. Do they actually make the switch? Some people do. Some people just say, you know what? It's kind of a hassle, and I feel like it's the same way with uh, banks. <laughs> One of my best friends is partners named Megan, and she is really good at the paperwork. And every time they save a little bit of money here or save a little bit of money there, I always say to them, man, I need a Megan in my life to help me with this because she's willing to do it. She's willing to do the work and stay on the phone lines and do the research and do the advocating. I'm like, my goodness, do I need a Megan in my life? Uh, Mike, I'm coming back to you here. After hearing our stories... What do you think? What's your conclusion in wrapping up thought, concluding thought, summation thought on your question of the day? Well, just like you, Dave, when I was rather young, probably about 16 or 17, I I did go away from one of the big banks. And it was because they made a mistake uh, in their uh, calculations. And then I got caught in overdraft and they still penalized me for it. They would not admit that they made the mistake and and reimburse me the fee that they charged me. And at that point, I, I, I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of like $25 or $35. It was a big chunk of change at the time. Oh, yeah. When you're, 16, so when you're 16, 17, 35 bones is like the real deal. So I walked. And uh, I've now been, along with my wife, since we've been you know married, living together, uh, we've been with the same Two banks. She's she stayed with hers. I stayed with mine. We made them joint accounts, and we've been with them because I think you're right. So much of what we do is done through our banks now with direct pay, direct deposit, direct billing. It would just be a nightmare to change. You know, where where we've been lucky is being able to keep a balance in there, so we're not pay- paying the the huge fees that we used to pay. So so I'm happy about that. But yeah, I just I don't want to deal with the nightmare that would be to change banks at this point. Yeah, you identified that minimum balance. So did I. That's one of the way that financial yep. institutions keep poor people poor and keep rich people rich. Yes. By saying like, hey, if you're wealthy enough, why would we charge you a fee? Hey, poor people. Take let's let's take some of your money. Sorry, not to get uh, to Comrade Brown on us over here as we say goodbye <laughs> to you, Mike. Mike, that was a great question. Thank you for bringing it to the table. 
My pleasure. That's Mike Ross. He had the regional news update. Jeff Ryman's here to chat about sports. <coughs> So, Jeff, tomorrow we're going to do a big deep dive into fantasy football. We're going to have a little bit of extra time on the show, and you and I are both getting ready for drafts. But instead of looking forward today, we want to look back on what's been a pretty bonkers offseason in the basketball and hockey world. And, Jeff, considering the news that came out yesterday with the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant saying, you know what, no trade request Everything is staying in place. I think we should start in the basketball world and your overall reactions to the offseason. Yeah, you know, it's been pretty crazy, I think, just for that reason, is that everybody has been sort of keeping an eye and ear on the Brooklyn Nets, what they're going to do with Kevin Durant. Are they going to trade Kyrie Irving? And at the beginning of the summer, I thought it was a done deal. Like, I thought Kevin Durant was going to be out of there at some point over the next uh, or at the, at the point I, I said a couple of weeks, uh, that was obviously earlier than the summer, didn't end up happening. And then the news yesterday, basically Kevin Durant says, all is good. Uh, let's go win a championship. <laughs> so uh, reverse course pretty hard. Um, and I honestly think that Brooklyn has to be up there now, Dave. And, <laughs> uh, in terms of uh, teams to look out for to be in uh Playoff contention, I agree with you. Championship contention, yeah. which is just so weird and absurd. <laughs> I don't know why Kevin Durant really wanted out of there in the first place. Uh, they've got Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving, and now Kevin Durant has committed <laughs> to this team. Uh, those three players can probably win you a bunch of games, and that immediately makes them. I wouldn't say improved because they didn't improve anything. They were always on their team, but I mean their off season has been wacky. But I guess. Good for them. <laughs> if if Ben Simmons plays, it's still uncertain as to whether or not he will. He actually does make them an improvement because he didn't play for them last year. Uh, I don't yeah. know what the vaccine mandate situation is in the NBA right now, but I feel like Kyrie's going to be able to play a few more games. Like there, there's there, there's a, there's a chance this team ends up being really good despite the chaos surrounding them. They also in the trade where they acquired Ben Simmons last year acquired Seth Curry, one of the best shooters in the league, which would complement really nicely with players like Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, who can't shoot for the life of him, better give him as many shooters as he can. But even the signing of TJ Warren, and I know I'm going maybe like a little too deep here for a casual national sports conversation, but TJ Warren is a really good basketball player. He's going to be a great scorer off the bench for them. I would say Brooklyn might actually be the title favorites considering all the chaos around them. But that said, that Bruce, uh, uh, that that chaos, Jeff, that can can brew up pretty darn quickly if things even go slightly sideways in Brooklyn. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, you've got all these guys. You know, the Eagles might get attached here. They might clash. You're right with the vaccine, the injuries. Um, just not willing to play or just want to demand a trade. You never know when that can happen at any point with any of those players you just mentioned. Um, TJ Warren, really sneaky signing. I mean, this mm-hmm. is a, one of those guys who was, you know, on the verge of being a, a real consistent all-star, and then injuries got the better of him. So I think Brooklyn's really banking on him to uh, live up to that potential and stay healthy. Uh, I, I like what they have in place so so far uh, right now, Dave. And yeah, it, it, it this has all this has all the ingredients for it to be either a really, really big success or the complete opposite yeah. where it just explodes in their face <laughs> in as a, as a fan. 
Um, that right there is enticing to watch over the course of 82 games. And so just then, waiting to see what happens. And then again, <laughs> next July 1st, when Kevin Durant asks for another trade, we can uh, repeat the cycle all over yeah. again. And that'll be super exciting for everyone involved. And we can spend a whole bunch of mental energy and oxygen talking about it. Jeff, the yeah. rest of the East in terms of the contenders pretty much stood pat, whether you're looking at the Miamis or the Bostons, the Torontos, uh, maybe not really a contender, the Phillies, like they made some moves here and there, some moves on the fringes, but largely everybody in the East stood pat, as did the champions, the Golden State Warriors. Didn't do a lot, Jeff, but I have to say I, I would consider them to be the favorites out of the West once again, just because of all the young players they have, the James Wisemans, the Jonathan Kamingas, yeah. the Moses Moody's. You're putting all those players into a core that just won the title, and all those guys are going to be a year older, and even if they don't necessarily hit the ceiling that we expect, I expect all three of them are going to be more regular contributors on that team. This is a team that you could see coming when they had, what, the second overall pick, was it? They picked James Wiseman. Like, right then, you're just like, oh my goodness. Like, they are going to be a good team for the next couple years, and then beyond as well, because the way that they're retooling with all these really good young prospects. Uh, You know, obviously at a certain point, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond, you know, those guys are going to start to wind down, uh, but they still got tons of basketball left. And you combine that with the Wisemans, who we really haven't seen. No, a lot of injuries. Again, injuries have have nagged him. Uh, Kaminga, I love this guy. Uh, Andrew Wiggins was a great addition last Mm -hmm. year to the Golden State Warriors. Um, you the, know, Mich- the, the, Michi- the Michigan man, Jordan Poole. Yeah, yes, Jordan Poole. I mean, uh, what a great player he was. What a pickup. Uh, late first round pick that was from, yeah, your, your Michigan team. And so, like, Golden State has done everything by the book perfectly, exactly how you want to run an organization. Uh, and you're right. I think that they definitely have to still be in contention for a championship. And we've been saying this for probably a decade now. but. Yep. They've done it the right way, and I think a lot of teams are are going to really uh, try to copy that. Uh, and, and when they're moving forward uh, in, in the next couple of years, uh, I'm looking at like OKC as, as a team yeah. that could potentially yeah. be like that as well. Uh, Jeff, any last basketball thoughts before we move on to a quick hockey thought? No, I mean it's going to be I think a pretty crazy season, and I'm really curious. Again, we talked about LeBron James last week a little bit, but I'm curious to see how he does you know, yeah. with injuries, uh, with that mega contract. See how long he goes for. Again, I think that he could be playing into his 40s, but you know, with injuries. You truly never know. Jeff, let's move on to the hockey world. I think we've spent a lot of time talking about the Calgary Flames, but you weren't here last Friday when Mike and I did a bit of a deep dive into them. Give me 30 seconds on the Flames and what was a very roller coaster offseason. I think that they improved. Uh, I think a lot of people would agree with that. Obviously, uh, they ended up losing Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk within about a week of each other. Gaudreau and Columbus, Kachuk basically demanding a trade, getting traded to Florida. In that return, though, I mean, uh, good job on Calgary. I mean, the haul that they got back for Matthew Kachuk was astonishing. I mean, Huberto, Uyghur, a couple of picks Uh, There might have been a prospect or two in there as well. Uh, Really good haul there. And then they added Nazem Kadri last week to a seven-year deal, seven by seven. So I think that that they've improved over the course of the last month or so. And they were a really good team to begin with. Uh, Obviously, losing those two big guys in Goudreau and Kachuk were, were major. 
but they retooled. And I think that they're definitely one of those teams to keep an eye on. They've got a really good goaltender in Jacob Markstrom. Their defense, I think they're missing a, a true bona fide number one guy that a lot of cup contenders are wanting. But as a whole, their defensive core, and we've talked about it before, yeah. how good and young they Five, are. Five, six guys who can all play. Exactly. And then their top six is, you know, up there with the best top sixes in the NHL. So I really think that Calgary <laughs> has the real deal. Although we say that I feel like a lot about certain teams and they can just never get over yeah. that hump. But Calgary really has that special potential, I think, for for making it deep next year. That was a long 30 seconds on Calgary, but I knew I wanted to give you the opportunity <laughs> to do that. Jeff, let's shift very quickly to the Eastern Conference here. I have been doing a lot of analysis on what the Eastern Conference looks like. I would say there's 12 or 13 teams that are all going to be competing for a playoff spot this year because of the improvements in Ottawa, because of the improvements in Detroit, even a team like Buffalo hoping to take the next step, although I don't think they've quite uh, confirmed their goaltending situation. Boston managed to bring back a lot of their veterans to come back to run it back one more time. Jeff, the East is going to be tough. And here's my hot take. The Florida Panthers going to miss the playoffs. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. Um- I, it, I would be surprised if they missed the playoffs. Um, but one team that I really like, what they've done this offseason, and I think you'd agree, the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they've had maybe the best offseason, at least in the East for sure. Um, but the additions of Brent Burns at a reduced salary cap hit, uh, that is big. Um, and I know they had Patch Reddy, who's out for quite a while now for but probably half the season a little, little more than half the season but he may be back for a playoff yeah. run with the is it the Achilles I think it's the Achilles yeah yeah it, it's a pretty serious injury so hopefully he recovers uh for the second half or maybe even the playoffs um for that matter maybe uh abuse the LTIR you never know <laughs> um but but they essentially gave up nothing to get those two guys um and I feel like they have just as good a team as they did last year so Carolina, I mean, they're going to be up there as well as they have been for the last couple of years. So the East is starting to really pick it oh, up. And yeah. I mean, the, the Atlantic, I mean, that is a very tough division there, Dave. There's only one bad team in the Atlantic and they're called the Montreal Canadiens. And even they're going to be more competitive than last year. Hey, Jeff, uh, any last quick thoughts? We've gone way over time here, but anything else you want to share on hockey before we say goodbye? Ottawa Senators, uh, great additions this year. I think that they're going to surprise a bunch of people. I think they're a playoff team. I mean, they've they've had a wild offseason, but a very good offseason. Right on, Jeff. Thank you for this, my friend. We'll talk fantasy football tomorrow. Get your picks ready. Sounds good, Dave. Or Looking maybe, forward to it. Or maybe we're going to lie to our friends. We're going to use this as like a distraction to our friends, and we're going to lie to the <laughs> listeners and viewers and be like, oh, I really like this player, and then hope our friends scoop them away from us and be like, ha-ha. I fooled you. Long con. I think I think we're on the same page with the wide receivers there, Dave. Always love yeah. going heavy on those wide receivers. All right, we'll get to that tomorrow, Jeff. Have a great day, bud. You too. See you, Dave. That's Jeff Ryman. He's at the AMI Sports Desk. Grace Scofield is at the AMI Weather Desk. Thanks, Dave. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We start off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where there's some showers, with a risk of a thunder shower this morning and a high of 21 degrees. In Charlottetown, it's mainly cloudy, with a 30% chance of showers or drizzle this morning and early this afternoon, with a high of 23 degrees. In St. John, it's mainly cloudy today, with a 30% chance of drizzle this morning, then a 30% chance of showers this afternoon, with a high of 22 degrees. 
In Quebec City, a few showers ending late this morning, then a mix of sun and cloud with a 40% chance of showers into the afternoon, with a risk of a thunderstorm as well, and a high of 25 degrees. In Toronto today, it's sunny this morning, then a mix of sun and cloud with a 30% chance of showers this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon, with a high of 29 degrees. In Sault Ste. Marie, it's cloudy, but that will clear up later this morning with a high of 22 degrees. Over in Brandon, Manitoba, it's clearing up later this morning and the high is 23 degrees. In Regina, it's mainly sunny with a high of 25 degrees today. Over in Lethbridge, Alberta, a mix of sun and cloud with 30% chance of showers and a risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon. The high is 25 degrees. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's sunny this morning, then a mix of sun and cloud with a 30% chance of showers late this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm late this afternoon as well, with a high of 24 degrees. In Whitehorse, it's mainly cloudy today, and the high is 21 degrees. In Kelowna, BC, a mix of sun and cloud with a 30% chance of showers this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm. The high is 31 degrees. And in Vancouver, BC, a mix of sun and cloud today, becoming mainly sunny later this morning with a high of 26 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Grace. Coming up next, Mike Agarbo of The App Show will discuss a security flaw that allowed hackers access to Apple devices. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's find out what's happening in the world of technology with Mike Agarbo of The App Show. Of course, you can find The App Show Saturdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. And you can find Mike Agarbo in New Orleans, Louisiana. Mike, look at you out on the road having another adventure. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. Just got here last night uh, for a, a big uh, finance uh, cloud software conference uh, called ZeroCon. So, about to check that out today. Mike, why are these conventions and conferences always in the most fun places? It's always like Miami, New Orleans, Las Vegas. It's almost like people don't want to do business. I think it's to lure everyone to the actual <laughs> conference, which, you know, sometimes that can be a little dry. Uh, how hot is it in New Orleans right now? When I was there in late June a couple of years ago, I almost died. Yeah, it's about 27, 28 degrees. But as you know, down here, the humidity is just killer. It just feels like you're, you're walking through water. Hope you brought Hot on water. lots of extra shirts, lots of extra shirts to uh, deal with some of the walking around. Uh, Mike, let's uh, jump into a story that broke last week. Last Friday, Apple talked about how there were some security flaws that were giving hackers access to Apple devices. How did they, they indicate the discovery of these vulnerabilities? Yeah, Apple uh, actually announced them. Uh, basically, it affects all, uh, pretty well, most Apple devices from iPhones, iPads, uh, and also MacBooks uh, as, as well. 
but essentially, if a hacker uh, exploited these uh, these security holes, that they could get uh, complete access to your device, which uh, is a, a problem, and be able to run any software that uh, they want. So, Apple has uh, announced that they've uh, you know found these uh, these holes and uh, have uh, strongly. Uh, said that you need to download the latest security patches for your devices to to plug them up. Yeah, I doubt they gave the blueprints on what exactly happened here, but is there any sense of of exactly what hackers identified? Yeah, something to do with the the, the WebKit uh, Safari uh, software. They're able to find a hole in there and then basically uh, ex- exploit that. You know, the challenge here is that, uh, you know, Apple devices are, you know, obviously becoming more and more uh, popular, especially in uh, big corporations. And it's just getting challenging uh, for a lot of those big companies uh, to actually plug these security holes um, when a lot of people are actually using their personal devices to access uh, corporate, uh, you know, cloud software now. So that's why hackers are more and more going after Apple devices. For years and years, Apple has had the reputation as making more secure hardware and more secure software. At times, maybe that reputation wasn't quite as well earned as their commercials would make it seem. But do you think stories like this may have some impact on that reputation? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, you know, the reason why Windows uh, computers used to be hacked all the time is because they were, you know, the dominant computing device out there. You know, literally hundreds of millions uh, of uh, laptops and, and desktops. But like I said, as uh, you know, the popularity of uh, Apple devices grow, especially in business, they are becoming a bigger and bigger target. Mike, let's go to a different software company. We'll move over to Microsoft, where a former software engineer posted a blog about an old hardware malfunction. Apparently, Janet Jackson's 1989 hit Rhythm Nation would cause older computer hard drives to crash. Mike, how on earth could a music video do so much damage? I don't know. It's something to do with the uh, natural harmonic uh, resonance uh, of, uh, you know, certain sounds. Uh, And so essentially, uh, researchers, I wouldn't say what computer manufacturer discovered this, but uh, you know when they played Rhythm Nation, uh, I guess uh, certain parts of it would actually vibrate the uh, uh, certain models of hard drives in these laptops and basically cause them to uh, to crash. And so not only would they crash the hard drives in that particular laptop, but if there was any other laptops uh, in the room that had that same hard drive, it would crash them as well. Wow, oh my gosh, that's so wild. Were there any legal implications here about who was responsible for this music video crashing computers? Well, it's interesting. They haven't really given too much information as to who the computer manufacturer was or what specific hard drive uh, it was. Again, this was back in the Windows XP days back in the early 2000s. Uh, so I don't think they ever really got out into the wild in a big way. Apparently, the computer manufacturer came up with an audio filter that would uh, basically take care of uh, that particular frequency when it uh, came up to prevent the hard drive crash. Mike, let's get to a story that uh, I saw online over the weekend that uh, raised my eyebrows, but it did touch some people's hearts. I, I, I'm still closer to the raising of my eyebrows, but uh, an AI tool called StoryFile allowed a deceased woman to talk to mourners at her funeral. So how is it possible for someone to talk at their own funeral? Yeah, this was interesting. Uh, her name was Marina Miller. She was a Holocaust uh, educator. I think um, 
she lived into her 90s, but, uh, you know, passed away. Her son actually recorded, you know, hundreds of hours of her talking about her life. And this isn't uh, for everyone. I think he used dozens of cameras, uh, you know, to basically accomplish this. But once that was done, uh, he was able to put this all together. And mourners at the funeral could actually ask questions about her life and she would answer them which was just, you know, outstanding. Um, if she didn't know the answer, she would basically just ask the, uh, the person to ask another question. So it's wild. Do you think there's going to be an appetite for people doing this at their own funerals moving forward? Well, I, I think it'd be cool, um, you know, for you know, my loved ones. But again, uh, you know, the sheer amount of hardware needed to make this all happen, you know, at this moment in time is, uh, is a lot. And I, I think he used, you know, 40 different cameras, you know, uh, around her to record all of this. So uh, I don't think that's going to be for everyone. Uh, but, you know, as we get more into, uh, you know, artificial intelligence and be able to recreate people's images and faces via video. Uh, I, I think that we might start seeing that in the future. I'll tell you this. My friends and family have told me that I haven't shut up for about 36 years and they'll be very happy when I'm actually in the ground. They don't want to hear from me anymore when it's all said and done. Mike, thank you for this. We'll talk to you next week. Enjoy NOLA. Thank you. That's Mike Agarbo. He's the host of the App Show. You can find that program Saturdays at 11 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. And I wonder if you can find Mike crushing some shrimp and crayfish later today around New Orleans. Coming up next, Jenny Bovard will be here. We'll discuss guilty pleasures of snacking. And we'll talk about a couple of uh, strange but favorites, combos of flavor and texture. This is now with Dave Brown on ami Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. If you are a regular viewer and listener of this program, you've put together that we love talking about snacks. It's basic stuff, you know, chips and sandwiches and cake and cookies, you know, goodies. But sometimes you have to get a little weird. Vanilla just isn't good enough. So you have to combine flavors and textures to create guilty pleasures. So let's talk weird snacks with food and drink columnist Jenny Bovard. Hey, good morning, Jenny. Good morning, Dave. I'm so ready for this. (laughs) I'm so ready for this, too. Oftentimes, these topic ideas start as an email thread where I mention, you know, Jenny, I'm going to eat something terrible for myself tonight. Mac and cheese (laughs) and chili and not even the homemade stuff. We're talking KD and canned chili and I'm going to feel terrible, but I'm going to love it. And then it got us rolling down this hill and it got you telling me about barbecue sauces and hot sauces. So let's start there. What are a couple of the eats that get a good saucing in your life? Well, let's start it off and get saucy. I'll take any opportunity to get saucy. So first of all, I think the obvious things, anything you can grill, you can sauce. Ribs, chicken, (laughs) right? You get the idea. And this isn't something I would normally announce, but here we are. Guilty pleasures are being dished. So I like to put barbecue sauce and or hot sauce all over my craft dinner. Mm. 
craft dinner is not a sin, people. It's okay every once in a while to get weird, okay? So craft dinner's one. The other thing I really like to put either barbecue sauce or hot sauce on, or both, uh, is my scrambled eggs. Have you ever tried anything quite like that? Yep, in both counts. Yes to both counts. My rule is, Jenny, anything you can put ketchup on, you can put barbecue sauce or hot sauce on. That's my rule. Doesn't matter. Get out of my head. That's exactly yeah. how I live my life. Yeah. So see, it's we're giving everyone permission to be a little bit weird today. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Jenny, barbecue sauce and hot sauce, those can be big, broad categories. Do you have a style or brand or flavor preference? I prefer a bolder or smokier barbecue sauce as opposed to the sweeter BBQ. And with hot sauce, I like something a little thicker, something more like a hotter medium buffalo sauce rather than a thin vinegar. But what about you? Well, I think for me, there's an appreciation for all of these options for me. If you think about, again, how people use ketchup, that's how I use my barbecue sauce or hot sauce. So if it's onion rings, I'm going to go sweeter because I'm thinking barbecue sauce, sweeter, ketchup-y, I don't know, just that combination. It would be sweeter for me. But if I'm doing like a turkey burger, chicken burger, I want something a bit smokier to compliment. Right. So to get especially turkey burgers, it needs all the help in the flavor department it can get. (laughs) But with hot sauce, let's get to the I love hot sauce. I getting ready for this segment. I tried to count the bottles of hot sauce in my fridge and I kept losing count. So I just gave up. (laughs) But the more runny, the more vinegar based ones, I will say I find it's tougher like to control the content, like the amount that you're applying to the food, which Mm. can be really important when it comes to hot sauce. Some of the easy-to-find barbecue sauces that I really like are Sweet Baby Ray's. Like, you can find this anywhere. Their slogan is, our sauce is the boss. And, like, it's just easy. It's accessible. Um, They've got smoky versions, sweet versions. Another one, it's pretty easy to find these days, is is Cool Runnings. They've got a few nice options. You can find them even at, like, Walmart. Pretty well anywhere. Yeah, the one that I find is often on sale and tastes good is the uh, Sauce Diane or the Diane sauce, Diane barbecue sauce, which is always quite available. And lots and lots of uh, flavor varieties for your tastes of choice. And maybe one day one of these sauces will sponsor the show as I'm drooling on the microphone. Uh, Jenny, you mentioned turkey burger. Let's go into the world of sandwiches. When you're craving a sandwich but bread won't do, what kind of weird combo do you come up with? Okay, so we're going to get weird again. I have been working from home for years. So one day, a couple years ago, I go down to the kitchen to fix myself a sandwich and I find, ooh, there's no bread. So being at home, I have access to my home freezer and in my home freezer, I have Eggo waffles. It turns out Eggo waffles are a fabulous substitute for everyday bread. And I just layer on whatever I would normally put on a sandwich. Turkey breast, some greens, some ranch dressing or mustard, whatever I'm in the mood for. You can even do just like PB and J, or you can do, I've done open face and I really load it up with Ooh. some avocado and cheese. Really go to town, right? You got to get creative working from home. If you don't have time to go out for lunch, you got to make it worth it. Jenny, you've inspired me. <laughs> when I go home today on my way home, I'm passing by the grocery store. I'm going to get myself some Eggo waffles and I'm going to get after this because I used to eat a lot of Eggo waffles when I was young. I haven't in years and I can think of uh, a dish or two that I can enjoy with an Eggo waffle here in the near future. Let's stay in the world of sandwiches. I've gotten a bit weird with peanut butter in the past. Peanut butter and pickles, to be exact. Uh, A friend in Seattle claims that's her favorite sandwich. I told her she was crazy. I lost a bet and she made me eat one. Not terrible. Not terrible. What about you? What are you getting weird with when it comes to peanut butter? 
Well, you're inspiring me as well. I think I might have to try that for lunch, peanut butter and pickles, and report back. I <laughs> put peanut do. butter. Peanut butter is a staple. I mean, I eat a lot of it, but especially when it comes to making a sandwich. And I said mentioned before, if I make a sandwich, I want to make it worth it. I want as much flavor and nutrition in there as possible. And, you know, sandwiches are just like a handheld thing of beauty. You can do so much with it. One of my favorites is, bear with me, okay, while I go through this. It's peanut butter, banana. So far, everyone's with yeah, me. Yeah, all but, the way there. All the way there but, with you. But but then we're going to sneak a green in there. We're going to add spinach or some other green. I'm concerned. Uh, on, on a whole grain bread. So don't knock it till you try it. You'll feel full. You've got protein and fiber. You don't even really notice the spinach. And it's not the most bitter green out there. And it's super good for you. <laughs> I, these, I, these things are created out of like necessity. What have I got around? And maybe sometimes late night munchies. But give it a try before you knock it. I, I do like spinach. I do like peanut butter. I do like banana. I do like whole grain bread. So this is maybe an experiment that I'm willing to try. I do keep a lot of spinach in the house as well. So it's something that I might get after. Uh, by the way, uh, Dendrika Delanarol agrees with you on Cool Runnings, and our audio producer, yeah. Grace, agrees with you on uh, waffles as sandwich bread. So you're uh, making friends all over the place here, Jenny. Let's uh, jump into a different category of food here. One of the jokes that people make at my expense when we travel for work is that I always get a box of Nutrigrain bars to keep in my hotel room as a quick and easy snack slash breakfast. But you have a different bar of choice. Which one? Well, I first of all, great minds think alike. There's nothing strange about bringing bars with you for that purpose when traveling. Um, Cliff Bars. I just eat way too many Cliff Bars. That's my brand of choice, like you, for traveling, especially if it's for a goalball competition or road race. For someone who loves to eat as much as I do, I do have a pretty sensitive gut. So these Cliff Bars in particular keep me satisfied and, you know, they don't cause any upset stomachs. I'll use these so many opportunities throughout the week. Mornings, if I'm rushing out to walk the dog, it's less awkward than grabbing a banana for mm -hmm, the walk. Mm -hmm. um, you know, of all the bars I've tried, Cliff Bars are, for me, the most satisfying before a workout, after a workout, almost all natural flavors in there. They've got really awesome flavor variety as well. And ethically speaking, they're a reputable company as well. Every couple of weeks, they're always on sale at one of the major Canadian retailers as well. So there's always a chance to stock up on a case and not totally break the budget on the Cliff Bars as well. Do you have a flavor of choice? I want to say they used to make like a white chocolate macadamia nut that's just like killer, killer, killer. You nailed it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. All right, there you go. Man, the great minds are thinking way too alike today, Jenny. <laughs> know, we are way too much on the same page. Uh, let's uh, finish up here. One of the super basic, for me, go-to snacks is I love going to a bulk barn or an equivalent and getting either a chocolate-covered almond or a yogurt-covered cranberry for some on-the-go eating. But you like doing a different kind of dipping of dried fruit. What's your move? I love those options. But for me, I think dates are very underappreciated. These are just like little bite-sized nuggets of fuel really uh, I think in my notes in our exchange I said holy fuel Batman when I when I mentioned dates but uh, on their own they pack a lot of fiber and carbs and calories so if you need a bit of fuel for a long walk or even like a little workout they're a great option on their own but I dip them in Nutella and it is just so much more satisfying <laughs> it's just got so much flavor now uh, and obviously peanut butter it always comes back to peanut butter that's also another great dip in option. 
it's so funny with Nutella. For years, I something about it didn't work for me. But a pancake place near where I lived in Ottawa started doing Nutella chocolate pancakes. And I got one taste of that, and I was completely hooked on it. Like, completely hooked. Yeah, you have to be careful with Nutella. <laughs> it's easy to eat a lot of Nutella. Um, but I think it's one of those things like peanut butter that goes so well with everything. I mix it into my yogurt, uh, like you said, on pancakes, in pancakes. I mean, we need to stop talking about yeah, Nutella yeah. already. It's yeah. been a very carbohydrate-heavy conversation, which uh, stands to reason because when you're talking snacks, carbs is the way to go. At least that's Absolutely. not what a nutritionist would tell you, but it's what I would tell you. Uh, Jenny, we got to scoot. Thank you for this. Hey, thank you. That's Jenny Bovard, a food and drink columnist for Now with Dave Brown. You'll be hearing more from Jenny starting in the new fiscal year after September the 1st. So stand by for that one. And it's going to go beyond food and drink. Jenny is a well-rounded human. And we're going to try to encourage everybody to be well-rounded on Now with Dave Brown starting on September the 1st. Before then, no being well-rounded. Very restricted. But in a couple days... We're all going to live free. I'm going to broadcast with my shirt off. Coming up after the break, we'll bring in Ramya Amuthan and Grace Scofield. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's say good morning to Ramya Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Company, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Hello, Ramya. Hello. How are you? I'm well. Always fun catching up with you. What's coming up on the show today? Well, we're talking about sleep because um, it's oh, my favorite my subject. Oh, goodness yeah. gracious. Years too, right? Oh, so- I've, 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 <laughs> I sleep a bunch and it's never enough. I know, exactly. But it's hard to convince some people of this. So sleep is vital at any age, Dave. We know this. It's shown to improve learning and attention, memory, behavior, and overall mental and physical well-being. And we're going to talk more about the importance of sleep, specifically in the age range of youth, uh, with Margaret Eaton, who is the national CEO of Canadian Mental Health Association. Uh, It's going to be a real fantastic conversation. Also, we're talking buzz with Bill. He's bringing on a ton of stuff to talk about. Well, we love to leave you intrigued about that. Mary Mammoliti is back. <laughs> Mary Mammoliti is back of Kitchen Confession, and she's sharing ideas. It's kind of a back-to-school theme, so sharing ideas of care packages um, for post-secondary students, people going back into post-secondary, what we can hand them over, some food ideas, mm. as well as other kind of gift ideas to help them out. Back when I was a broke student, but also a uh, fitness monster, There was a lot of appetite that was required, but not a lot of money to feed my appetite while on campus. So what I would do at the start of every week or every month is I would just fill up one of those like Ziploc plastic containers. So I guess a Tupperware would be the more accurate way of saying that with just like all kinds of like nuts and almonds and dates and like dried Mm -hmm. fruits. And I would fill that up as like my on the go snack thing. So don't be afraid to give people trail mix as a back to school gift. Trail mix is always handy, providing they don't have nut allergies. So I suppose you have to be good considerate of that I, I wasn't because I was because I was That's a jerk true. it was 2009 Ramya I could still be a jerk I was gonna say at that age like when I was at post-secondary I did that was too healthy of a snack for me so I was definitely <laughs> just stopping at Subway every day for the cookies um that was pretty much it <laughs> oh don't get me wrong I loved the garbage too I lo- I was a garbage monster through and through a uh, Ramya 
We've only got about a minute here before before I have to welcome Grace into the show. But I want to ask you our daily poll question at AMI Audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. How often do you forget to use a gift card when you're making a purchase? Often, oh, sometimes, uh, so never, sometimes, or always? Sometimes. If it's in my wallet, I'll probably remember it. How many of the gift cards actually make it to my wallet is the real question. <laughs> yeah. Where are they? Where are all my gift cards, Dave? Yeah, there is a transitionary phase of once you get that gift card, it has to stay close by or else yeah. it will go missing. Hey, Ramya, thank you for this. Have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Dave. Sounds good. That's Ramya Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly & Company, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. As promised, here's Grace Scofield with your entertainment report. Grace, we were playing a bit of soccer with topics uh, back and forth between the glass today. What did we land on? Uh, we landed on Cineworld confirming that they are considering filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Oh, boy. After finding themselves in $4.8 billion in net debt. So this is a British company which owns Regal Cinemas in the United States and operates in 10 countries and said the theaters remain open for business as usual and that no harm should come to their over 28,000 employees. For now. For now. So that's some good news. Everybody keep coming to work. Yes. I know we're talking about filing for bankruptcy, but everybody please keep coming to work. For the short term, keep coming in. So, but there is some things about this. The theaters are kind of going through an odd period right now. There really isn't any new movies coming out. The last, like, bigger one was Thor Love and Thunder back in July and Top Gun still sits at number four in those box (laughs) office rankings. One of the summer's most popular movies which was The Grey Man on Netflix only played on Netflix and it was one of the summer's biggest movies. So people weren't going to theaters to see this movie. They were staying at home. Um, so there's there's some reasons, there's some obvious reasons as to why this is happening for Cineworld. I think a lot of theaters are seeing a huge decrease in crowds and um, viewers coming to see their movies. And also, people are getting more and more financially savvy going to see movies as yes, well. Yes, You know, like, after the pandemic, there really wasn't much of a budget for entertainment, for going to see movies. The, Even 15, I found do- the $15 popcorn. A $15 popcorn. People started to look at this and go, do we really need to be spending our money on this? And, you know, it's, it's a fun night out, but it's really pricey, and you can't really consider everybody to be wanting to go to a movie and spend that cash right yeah. now. Yeah. What a switcheroo or what a change for Cineworld where before the pandemic they'd signed a multi-billion dollar deal to buy Cineplex, the Canadian yeah. theater chain. And here we are just a couple of years later. That deal fell through, largely driven by the pandemic and now Cineworld on the verge of a Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Like it's just, it's so weird how things can change so quickly in the big corporate world. That said, Grace, I, I'm somewhat rejecting your premise because I think there's still an appetite for the big movie on the big screen, but it has to be the Top Gun kind of stuff, right? It really needs to be the one that makes people feel like, yeah, my money was well spent by going for this experience, which is really too bad because there's a lot of mid-tier movies that are probably still better in a theater that could be more drama-driven or more suspense-driven or character-driven that are still better than watching at home that aren't the same visual sort of masterpiece. But it is it is too bad that, that in general that a lot of those mid-tier and smaller movies are going to be the ones that end up suffering, not sort of the big-budget Jurassic Worlds and bullet trains and Top Guns. Yeah, exactly. And even then, I think, you know, waiting for it to come out on a streaming service, a lot of people have at-home 
entertainment systems, especially yeah. after the pandemic. They would yeah. have upgraded their entertainment systems at home. They can watch it. They pay the, that money for the streaming services. And probably for the amount of streaming services people have, they pay enough in a month for yeah. a night out at the yeah. movies. I, so. I was in my friend's man cave on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon. And during the pandemic, he bought a 4K QLED 77-inch TV Oh my, that thing was a monster. It was amazing. I live in a really small apartment. <laughs> I have a, like a six foot wall to put my television on. Um, and I went to Best Buy. This was last summer to go buy a television. I was looking at like a 35 inch TV. And wow. then there was a 65 inch TV for the same price. And it was also still a smart TV. So you bet I bought that one instead. And now I don't need to go to the movies. You've filled up your entire <laughs> wall space. Wow, 65 inches is big. I'm, I'm currently cracking at 50. I, I looked at 55 when I was upgrading TVs, but I decided 50 was good enough for me. But uh, after seeing that 77 incher, I was like, ooh, I can go for some of that. Uh, Grace, we got to go. We're going to hit the heart out if we keep talking. For sure. Uh, that's Grace Caulfield with the Entertainment Reports. I'm Dave Brown. We'll be back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Aaron Broverman and I are going to talk about tipping culture. You find yourself having to tip more these days? Are you tipping more? Me and the Broverman are going to discuss it. 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair. But don't forget to have some fun. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.